You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Let's pray. Jesus, you reign. You will be reigning for all eternity, and you are worthy of our praise. For all that you have done for us, we can stand here and sing that you are the God who reigns forevermore. God, we praise you for sending your son to live for us and to die for us on the cross so that we could know you, so that we could be back in a relationship with you. And God, we thank you that that you have given us your word, Lord. You tell us that we don't live by bread alone, but we also live by the word that comes. And so I pray you would give us a word right now. Lord, that as your Bible is opened, I pray that hearts that need to be comforted would get that, hearts that need to be convicted, however you want to do that, God, that you would do that. And Lord, I, I pray that we would leave here with such a love and affection and a deep commitment to Jesus Christ because of his love and affection and deep commitment to us. So God, we pray that you would help us right now as we open your word. Holy Spirit, would you speak? Would you convict? Would you lead in the ways you want? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can take a seat. And as you're doing that, you can go to John chapter 4. John 4. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers are coming up and down the aisle. And if you put your hand up, they will give a Bible to you. So all you got to do is raise your hand and they'll get it to you. Uh, When we are excited about something or someone, we talk about it. When something exciting is coming up in our life or whatever it is, maybe that's a vacation coming, maybe you got your first house, maybe there's a new baby, whatever it is, some insight into the Bible. If you're excited, it usually doesn't take very long to start talking about it, to tell people what's going on in your life. Now, as Christians, the most exciting thing in our life is not Prince Harry and his new bride. It was a beautiful wedding. But the most exciting thing in our life is Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. But even as I say that, I, there are times in my life when I am not as excited about Jesus as I should be. That when I check, when I, walk, when I look at my life, that, that excitement is nowhere near where it should be. And that's because things creep into my life that take my affection, my attention away from Jesus. But when I slow down, when I slow down and when I focus, when I get my eyes on Jesus Christ, you know what happens? The excitement comes back. The excitement comes back because I remember when I look at Jesus, I remember that Jesus can do for me and for you what no one else can do. Jesus can do in your life what no one else can do. And I'm, and I'm hoping that as we look at this passage, we will see that so clearly. And that as we see it, I'm, I've been praying that the Holy Spirit as we look at Jesus, as we look at what he can do for us, that he would, he would stir, the Holy Spirit would stir fresh excitement in our hearts about Jesus for this reason, for missions. So that we would go from here and tell other people about Jesus. 
that the Holy Spirit would stir in us this, this desire, this understanding that the thing that we are here to do now is to go on mission, to tell other people about Jesus Christ so that they can experience from Jesus what we have experienced. He can do for them and for you what no one else can do. We're going to pick up our story in verses is one to four, we're told that Jesus is headed to Galilee, and Jesus on his way to Galilee gets to Samaria, and he is tired from his journey so far. See, in his humanity, Jesus was hungry and thirsty. And in verse six, that says that we find him sitting beside the well. See, Jesus is like that woman or man who's come home after a long day of work and just plops down on the couch, just trying to recover. Here we find Jesus resting. Let's pick it up in verse 6. It says, so Jesus, weird as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. That's 12 o'clock. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, come uh, said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. So Jesus is resting. He's waiting for the disciples to come back. And this woman shows up and he says, give me a drink. He says, please give me a drink. But she is shocked by this. She's like, how are you a Jew Asking me, a woman of Samaria, why are you talking to me? See, Jews and Samaritans didn't deal with one another. They didn't interact with one another. They were divided around, along racial and religious lines. Jews actually thought that if you interacted and talked too long with a Samaritan, you would become unclean. And so there's these barriers between these People, they, they avoided one another. But notice here that Jesus is pushing through those barriers. He's not allowing that to stop him from speaking to this woman. Look at verse 10. He answers her question in a way that she is not expecting. It says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Here's our first point. Jesus is the one who satisfies. He satisfies us. In verse 10, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, Jesus says this, but she misunderstands what he's saying. And you know she misunderstands because she says, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. See, Jesus here isn't talking about physical water. He's aware that the physical water will only satisfy her for so long. That's why he says everyone in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Jesus here is talking about spiritual water. 
the water that will satisfy her for the rest of her life. The water that he alone, no one else can give this to her. That's why in verse 14 he says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. And the water that Jesus is talking about, the water that he is going to give to this woman is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. John 7 says this, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. This is the gift of God. The Holy Spirit is the gift of God. This is what Jesus wants to give to this woman, and this is ultimately what we are going to see him give to her. See, the Holy Spirit, the gift of God, can satisfy the woman in Samaria, and it can satisfy any person in Brampton and Beyond, When we drink of the water that Jesus offers, we are completely and permanently satisfied. See, Jesus here is interested in her spiritual thirst, not her physical thirst. He speaks to this woman because he actually wants to deal with the issues in her heart. What we have here is a woman who's been seeking satisfaction and fulfillment for a long time. She's been pursuing Satisfaction and fulfillment, but she is not getting it. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Her life was a chain of unfulfilling relationships. She, this is a woman who longed to be known and accepted. This is a woman who's actually dealing with rejection. And do we know this because of the time she comes to draw water? Women in those times would come to draw water in groups. And they'd also come to draw water early in the morning or later in the evening when it wasn't as hot. But what do you notice about this woman? She's alone, and she's come to draw water at the hottest point of the day. She's doing this because she wants to avoid the people, and she wants to avoid the people because they judged her, because they looked down on her. They rejected her, but notice that Jesus is doing none of that to this woman. He knows all the details of her life. He knows everything that she has ever done, but he is not rejecting her. He is accepting her. He is embracing her. He actually satisfies the longing that has been in her heart and her life for years. He accepts her with all her messiness. He does for her what no one else can do. See, this longing to be known and accepted is actually in us, too. This desire to be known and accepted by others. But we fear people knowing us. Because we, we think that if they come close and if they see all the messiness in my past or if they see all the current messiness in my life, they're going to reject me. So we don't have to fear, though, with Jesus. 
He knows all of the messiness in my life. He knows all of the messiness in your life. But Jesus doesn't reject us when we come to him by faith. You know what he does? He puts his arms around us and invites us into a warm embrace. He says, I know all of your mess, Mark, but I love you. And he accepts us. And you know what else he does? He begins his work of transformation and change in our heart and life. This is why. This is why we go on mission. Jesus can do this for those who are longing to be known and accepted. This is what drives us out to tell others about Jesus Christ. He satisfies the longing for acceptance in this woman's heart. He also deals with her confusion about worship. Look at verse 19. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our father worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither this, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. All Jesus is saying here is that the, the Samaritans and the Jews, they, they disagreed on where and how to worship God. And Jesus actually says to her that the Jews are right. But he also says... It doesn't matter anymore. He says, none of that matters anymore because I am here. Because Jesus, the true temple, who John earlier says tabernacled among us, he has come. And Jesus is inviting all people to come and worship God in spirit and truth anywhere. Because God is with us everywhere, whether in a gym in Brampton or some new building down the road. He's with us. And so we worship him in spirit and truth anywhere. See, this woman was confused about where and how to worship. We get confused about what to worship. We get confused about what to worship. Missions exist because there's so much wrong worship in the world. Everyone is worshiping. All people are worshiping all the time. The question that has to be answered is, are we worshiping the right person? See, this wrong worship, it started in Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve, our first parents, chose to worship themselves, when they chose to worship independence, when they were convinced that they could live life without God, and ever since then, wrong worship has continued on and on and on. When you read through the Bible, that is what you see. When you look around in our culture and the times that we're in, that is what is going on. People worship at the well of money. People worship at the well of independence. People worship at the well of sex. They worship at the well of drugs. They worship at the well of whatever. And things that are not God. Things can save them. These things become messiahs in our life. But these things can't save us or satisfy us Satisfy the longing that is in our heart. There's only one person who can do that. That person is Jesus Christ. Look what he says in verse 25. 
The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The woman's statement reminds us that all of us are longing for a savior. Everyone is longing. We have this desire in us to be saved. And when we look around the world, when we see the mess, when we see the brokenness, we're like, who can save us from this? Do you know that every superhero movie is tapping into this desire? This longing to be saved. Everything from Black Panther to the Infinity War. Just this desire in us. Sometimes we watch these and we're like, I wish I could be the Black Panther. I wish I could be the Savior. I wish I could be Iron Man. But we can't save ourselves. There's only one person who can save us, and that person is Jesus Christ. He can satisfy us. He says to her, that Savior you have been longing for is me. That Savior you've been waiting on is here. He says, I who speak to you am he, and I can satisfy all your needs. F.F. Bruce said it this way, the soul's deepest thirst is for God himself, who made us so that we can never be satisfied without him. We can never be satisfied with out God. Again, this is what makes missions so important. This is why Kim and I feel this call to go and plant a church in Toronto. Because when you look in that area, people are longing to be satisfied. Some are longing so much to be satisfied and accepted or whatever it is that they're walking into gangs. Other people are, are pursuing money and riches and all these things, but they're not getting satisfaction. They're coming up empty. And this is why we're asking people in our church, pray. And if God is leading you to go with us, then come with us so that we can go and tell them about Jesus Christ, the one who can save them and satisfy the deepest longings in their heart. And as we go, as we go and do this, as we go and tell others about Jesus, let's follow the example that Jesus set. Notice his treatment of this woman. Notice how gentle he is with this woman. Notice how compassionate and kind, how he respects her when he communicates to her. See, sometimes when we go out on mission, when we go out and do evangelism, the way it comes out of us makes it so that no one wants to talk to us ever again. Because we're harsh, we're rude, it comes out ugly. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. But we have the spirit that is in us And we can ask him to fill us with compassion, to fill us with kindness for the lost. Some of the reasons why it comes out so harsh out of us when we're talking to people about Jesus is because we can't see another human being across from us who are just struggling with the difficulties of a broken world. We don't see someone who's hurting, who needs a savior. We see someone who we just need to defeat in an argument. That's not what missions is about. It's about introducing people to the greatest person who has ever lived, the one who can satisfy the longings of their hearts. So we can pray for the Spirit to work in us, to give us compassion, so that when we talk to people, they not only want to talk to us again, they're willing to go and call others to talk to us about Jesus. So Jesus is talking to this woman, and then the disciples come back. Verse 
27 says, Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, What do you seek or why are you talking with her? So John says here that they marveled that he spoke to a woman. The reason why they marveled is because in that culture, in that cultural moment, rabbis thought it was a waste of time to talk to women. They thought that you were wasting your time doing that. What you see here is that Jesus, in speaking to this woman, is breaking away from the misogyny that was common in his day. Some of that stuff that's still around today. When you read the Gospels, what you'll find is that Jesus treated women differently. That he treated women well. When you read through, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And you know what he does? He makes sure that there's someone to look after his mother into old age. When you read in Luke, Jesus, in the story with Mary and Martha, he allows her to sit and he teaches her. He disciples her. And when you look at his ministry, he is including women in his ministry. Jesus here, what he does in the Gospels is he shows us the value and worth of women in our lives. He did for women what no one else, what many others were not doing around him. And sometimes the church can just push women to the side. As if women are not vital and important to the fulfilling of the great commission and the spirit of the great commandment. As if women don't have a crucial role to play in going out and doing missions and seeing people come to Christ. And that's wrong. Jesus shows us the value and worth of women. He shows us the way that we should treat the women who come in our church and come in and out of our lives to include them and understand that we cannot fulfill the Great Commission without them. His disciples come back, and then she runs off in excitement. Verse 28 says, So the woman left the water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. I was talking to Dennis Baggett, one of our elders, one of our other pastors this week on Tuesday. Him and I, when I'm preaching, we meet together and we kind of talk about the passage and he's just a great help to me. And he said something on Tuesday. We were sitting in a Tim Hortons. He was eating an old-fashioned plain donut. That's his thing. And, um, and he said, you know, Marv, at first we are the mission. But after we are saved, we become the missionary. Just let that sink in for a minute. Dennis has great one-liners like that. If you're ever looking for stuff, just go to him. He says, we become the missionary. That's what's happened to this woman, and that's what happens to all of us. This is our reality. She says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She is on mission, and we are to be on mission. Here's our second point. Jesus is the one who sends. Jesus is the one who sends. The disciples come back and they try to get Jesus to eat something. They try to get him to eat because they want him to recover his strength, but Jesus says, I I have a higher priority right now 
than eating. Look at verse 21, uh, 31, sorry. It says, meanwhile, his disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? They're like, did somebody bring him from Timmy's, something from Timmy's? Did anyone bring him some jalap? All right, all right. I knew that would get my African family. He says, my food, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. See, doing his father's will was like food to Jesus. Jesus, in helping this woman, he is strengthened by that. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his works. He is a con- his, his concern for her spiritual needs made it so that he put his physical needs second. What Jesus is doing again here is modeling for us Philippians 2 verse 4. It says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He's concerned for her interests. See, when, when, when seeing people saved, when missions becomes your passion, there are times in your life when your physical needs will come second. It will take second place. Jesus here is so committed to accomplishing his father's work. He's so committed that he goes all the way to the cross where he dies for us. So committed to doing his father's work. That's why in John 19, 30, he could say, it is finished. And his finished work made it possible, opened the door for us to enter into a relationship with our father. The relationship that we walked away from when we chose to sin. But we can tell others, and we can tell others about that. So Jesus here clarifies his priorities. He also wants his disciples to know the times they're in. Look at verse 35. It says, do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Jesus here tells them, he says, the times you're living in are unique. He's saying to us, the times we're in are unique. He's saying here, these are times where sowing and reaping happen all at once. That's why he says, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The CSB, the Christian Standard Bible says that the fields are ready for harvest. Jesus here is trying to get them to focus. He's trying to get them out into the work. He says already in verse 36, the one who reaps is receiving wages. Jesus is saying to his disciples, people are already gathering. He's saying, get out into the work. See, the disciples are distracted. They're like that student in the back of the classroom just looking out the window. Do, 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 do. And he's like, focus, get into the work. He wanted urgency in his disciples, and he wants urgency in us. 
Don't you remember when you, you were first saved, this excitement you had about Jesus, this urgency you had to tell other people, and now it's kind of it's up and down? Because we've just gotten comfortable. But Jesus wants urgency in us. He wants us out into the work telling others so that we can be gathering the fruit of, a tr- of eternal life. See, missions isn't an option for some. It's a mandate given to all of us. All of us are missionaries. And for some of us, it means that we will get on a plane and fly across the globe to tell others about Jesus. But for many of us, it simply means being a faithful witness in your neighborhood and in your city so that people would meet our Savior, so that they would be satisfied in him. And verse 38 reminds us that we all have different roles to play in the mission's work. Look at verse 38. It says, I sent you to reap for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. Jesus, uh, his disciples are benefiting, he says, from the labor of others. The others were those who came before Jesus and Jesus. They're benefiting from that labor. See, this is a time of reaping, but we may get to a field that needs some sowing. We may have to do some sowing, but we may not see the results. We may do the sowing and somebody else may come along and do the reaping, but that is okay. That's okay because effective missions, effective evangelism is telling others about Jesus Christ and trusting the Holy Spirit with the results. That's why Paul could say in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but who? God gave the growth. God gives the growth. God will give the growth, and we will, sower and reaper, rejoice together in his success. So this conversation between Jesus and his disciples almost makes you forget about the woman. But she is so excited about Jesus. She's so happy to tell people about Jesus. She's running back into town like Usain Bolt. She wants to tell everybody about the Savior of the world. And her witness is effective. Look at verse 39. As many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and they stayed there two days. Here's our final point this morning. Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who saves. Her testimony has an effect. It has a, it's such a crucial effect on the people that they're streaming out to meet Jesus. And this reminds us that one of the things that God uses to draw people to his son is our story. Our testimony. Her story is caught up in the bigger story. And you may be sitting there right now and you're thinking like, wow, my story is not that great though. It's, you know, it's one of those like blah ones. It's really, it's really clean. And you're kind of wondering, you know, is it, is it worth telling? Yes. Yes. Because every story, no matter how clean it sounds, is messy. 
Because every story has in it, I realize that I sinned against God. But that God in his grace spoke to my heart and called me into a relationship with him. And so you may be sitting there and you're thinking, my story doesn't sound that great. It's not that powerful. It is powerful. Whether you were saved at four years old at your mother's knee or 42 years old coming off of a drug high, it's powerful because it talks about the fact that God rescued you from your sin and satisfied you by giving you his son. And so if the opportunity comes, share it. Share it with others. Trust that God will use it in whatever way he wants. They come to Jesus, the Samaritans do, from the town, and they ask him to stay with them. Look at verse 41. It says, and many more believe because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believed. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The text says they come out and many more believed. Notice that it also says that they believed because of his word. See, our story, God can use that to draw people to his son, but that's not what saves people. Our testimony is not enough. What saves people is a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. That's what happens for these people. They say that we have heard for ourselves and we know this is the Savior of the world. Their personal encounter with Jesus leads them to a firm commitment and conviction about who he is. Jesus here reaps a harvest among the Samaritans. And this is to show that Jesus came for all people. That he is the savior of the world. Jesus is going to save a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And here's the great thing. We get to play a part in that. We get to go on mission and be a part of seeing the nation's come in as we faithfully obey his call and take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of us. The people here are drinking from the well of living water. And this is because of this woman. This is because of this nameless woman who has the courage to go and speak, to go and say, come and see Jesus. Come and see the Savior of the world. Come and see the one person who can do for you what no one else can do. Think about this woman. This woman who avoided people, who went out of her way to not be seen, is now boldly proclaiming and calling people to Jesus Christ, telling them the good news. All of her fear of people is gone. And you got to wonder, how? Why did it go away? It's because this woman knows that she is loved and she is accepted by Jesus. She has the acceptance of the only person that matters. And so therefore, she's not afraid of anyone anymore. 
She is loved by him. His perfect love for her cast out all fear from people. And so she is boldly speaking about Jesus Christ. She is getting out of her comfort zone. And her bold witness leads many to faith in Christ. Her faith, her, her witness, her bold, her courage, her courageous clarity about Jesus actually starts a chain reaction. Look what it says. It says, many more believed. It went on and on and on and on. All because of her courage. This woman sets an example for us. She sets a solid example for us to follow as we step out of our comfort zone. As we boldly and courageously tell people about Jesus Christ, many will be saved. We'll see many people drinking from the well of living water. We'll see many people satisfied. Jesus gives her a new heart, and the Spirit is living in that heart, and she is now speaking. And just like he gave her a new heart, he's given us a new heart, and the Spirit is living in us, and he's telling us to tell others about Jesus so that they will be satisfied. See, telling others about Jesus Christ leads to a chain reaction throughout the world. And what stirs excitement, what stirs courage in us, what stirs this boldness to speak, what's, what stirs this freedom to tell other people about Jesus Christ is the gospel. Remembering that we have been saved by Jesus. Remembering that we have been satisfied by Jesus. And remembering that we have been sent by Jesus out into the world to tell others, to go on mission so that they would experience what we have experienced. So that Jesus would do for them what he has done for us. He can do for people, he can do for all of us what no one else can do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Lord, who can do for us what no one else can do, who can who can take our stony hearts and give us a new heart, who can satisfy all of our longings, who can help us to no longer go to these false, ugly, and dirty wells looking for fresh water. We can now go to Jesus and drink deep from the well. And God, I pray that you would help us to not hoard this satisfaction that we have, that we would go on mission, that we would boldly proclaim to others about your son, Jesus Christ, so that he could satisfy their lungs, so that he could save them, so that he could transform them and send them on mission. So God, we pray that you would do a great work in our heart. I pray you've already been doing that as the word has been preached. I know you've done that in my heart this week. You've exposed how weak I am at this. But I'm praying and asking God that you would grow this in me and that you would grow this in all of us, this desire to see others walking with your son. Would you help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.